Our text for this morning is the gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago, and so we encourage you to keep that uh, in front of you. The, the, uh, it's on the back of your bulletin. Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. In the name of Jesus, amen. Last Sunday, January 6th, of course, the church stepped out of the Christmas season and into the Epiphany season. And as you heard last week, that's quite two, two different things are expected in these two seasons. In the Christmas season, of course, we heard about the birth of our Lord and Savior. We learned about the manger and the stable and the shepherds and the angels and all of those kind of things. We were introduced to this infant that was born whose name was Jesus. In the Epiphany season, of course, we look at who he really is. Who is this one? Who is this one indeed? Uh, who came into the world with such, in such a spectacular way. And the gospel lessons uh, during this season, of course, point us to who he is, that he is indeed none other than God himself come, Emmanuel, the Messiah, all of these things, the promised one. And today's gospel lesson, of course, which is about his baptism, certainly points us to these great truths, that he is indeed God's son come into this world. So we're going to be looking at it in the next few minutes, his baptism. First of all, though, before telling us about the baptism of Jesus, our text tells us about the ending of the ministry of John the Baptist. The baptism of Jesus, of course, was the beginning of his ministry, but in this same text we see the ending of John the Baptist's ministry. Now, remember that John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. The John the Baptist preached law and gospel. He preached grace and judgment. These things, people came out to hear him. He also talked about uh, baptism and made it very clear that when the Messiah came, his baptism would be different than his, that his baptism was simply a baptism of water. But when the Messiah came and baptized, that baptism would be a baptism which would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first half of our text then talks about uh, John the Baptist, the ending of his ministry, and then tells us what finally happened to him that ended that ministry. Look at verses 19 and 20. There it says, But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. John's ministry now is at an end because he has fulfilled what he has been called to do. He has indeed prepared the way for the Messiah and he has baptized him. And that baptism, of course, was a, was a momentous event. All four gospel writers tell us about it. You know, there's lots of things in the New Testament where not all four gospel writers tell us about those events. But this is one event where all four gospel writers tell us about it. And in telling us about it, what they're doing is pointing to who Jesus really was and what his mission was, what he was all about. And that's what his baptism meant. It was his baptism pointed to his identity. His baptism pointed to the mission that he was going to carry out. And the same is true of our baptisms. Our baptism also points us to our identity and also to our mission. And that's what we want to talk about in the next few minutes. And I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Now Jesus had often gone to, to where John was preaching and teaching and baptizing. It was along the Jordan River up north of Jericho. Same area where Elijah had worked centuries before. 
In fact, John reminded people of Elijah because he dressed like Elijah. He preached fire and brimstone like Elijah did. He also ate the same kind of diet that Elijah ate. So Jesus goes to where he is preaching and teaching and baptizing. Crowds were coming out from all over Israel for the same thing. And on two occasions, Jesus or John makes a very clear announcement. He says, that man standing up there on the bank is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Two different occasions, Jesus is pointed out in that way. Jesus stands there on the bank, like I said, for several days. And then finally comes that day when he steps off of the bank into the water and gets in line with those who are waiting to be baptized. John can't believe it. He protests. He said, what in the world are you doing? I should be baptized by you rather than you baptized by me. And then Jesus says these words which are packed with revelation. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is part of God's plan of salvation. And for that plan to be completed, I must be baptized. Now, like I said, it was a momentous event. A momentous event. It was as big as the cross and the empty tomb. Because you see, what you see here now is the marks of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus here in the waters of the baptism, just like you see at the end of his ministry, the cross and the empty tomb. And so these big events are the parameters of his ministry. Baptism here at the beginning, the empty tomb here at the end. That's a picture of his whole ministry. Now, Luke takes only two verses to tell about his baptism. Talks about John quite a bit here in our text, but only two verses to tell about his baptism. But like I said, these verses are packed with revelation. So look at these two verses. They are the last two verses of our text. Verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, that's tremendous. Jesus joins sinners. Think of that. Think what is happening here. When Jesus steps into the water, gets in line with all of these sinners, and waits to be baptized. Why does he do that? Because he loves sinners. He joins with sinners. As you read through the Gospels and coming uh, events or coming Gospel lessons, you'll see him eating with sinners. You'll see him comforting sinners. You'll see him weeping with sinners. You'll see him reaching out to help sinners. And you'll see him eventually dying with sinners. Here's where it all begins, though, as he steps into the water and lines up with sinners to be saved. He does all of this in order to save them. Now you see that where he says that, huh? Where it says that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And then look at verse 21 because this is so significant too. Verse 21, it says these words, and he was praying. So get the picture there. Jesus is now baptized and the first thing he does after his baptism is he prays. He stands there in the water and he prays. And again, that's so characteristic of Jesus, isn't it? 
Because as you read the Gospels after this, you're going to see him praying early in the morning. You're going to see him praying late at night. You're going to see him stopping even in the daytime when he is surrounded by a crowd to pray. You're going to see him after this going into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's going to be fasting, but he's also going to be praying. You're going to see him calling the 12 disciples, but he spends the whole night. Now think of this. The Bible tells us he spends the whole night before he calls the disciples praying. Spends that whole night doing that. And before he leaves, for, or when he's leaving, or, or when he's going to Jerusalem for the last time, remember, he goes on to the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll also see that during the Epiphany season. And he spends hours there praying. And then that last week of his life, my goodness, there is so much prayer there, isn't there? That he is praying in the temple, that he is praying in the upper room, the high priestly prayer, John 17. And he's praying in Gethsemane, that agonizing prayer there. And his life ends with prayer. His ministry ends with prayer. In the dark, on the cross, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And so here again you see his ministry begins with prayer and his ministry ends with prayer. Goodness, what a picture. And while he was praying, now listen, look at this in our text. While he was praying, it says, heaven was opened. Now that's very significant when it says, Jesus is baptized, he is praying, and heaven is opened. That's why he has come. He has come in order to open heaven. Adam and Eve in their sin closed heaven. Sin closes heaven. Now Jesus comes to take away sin so that heaven can be opened once again. Now that's here at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry it's also going to tell you that heaven is now open. The curtain in the temple. Remember when he dies, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Friday? The curtain in the temple will be ripped from top to bottom. And that is evidence that heaven now is open. Heaven is open. And so you have it at the beginning of his ministry here. Heaven is open. He's here to open it. And at the end of his ministry, he indeed has brought that about. Heaven is indeed open. So you see the parallels between the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry? And then notice this, that after it says that heaven is open, then the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. What's that all about? He's anointed. That's what that's all about. He is anointed. Remember that in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed into their callings, into their ministry. Now the Holy Spirit calms down upon him. And that's what the word Christ means. Remember the word Christ means anointed. So here you see him being anointed as the Christ. Now he is going to be our prophet and our priest and our king. He is going to be set aside for ministry, just like those in the Old Testament were set aside with anointing. And so now the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form, and he is anointed prophet, priest, and king, set apart. And then, now get the picture. Jesus is standing there. He is praying. The heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends, and now the voice of the Father. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, those words 
back up what the angel Gabriel had told Mary when he came to her. Remember what the angel Gabriel said to Mary? He said to Mary, that one born of you is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be the son of the Most High. Now here the father comes and said, this is the son that Gabriel was talking about. This is the son of the Most High. And so here the words of Gabriel are confirmed. And then also these words that the father speaks are really quotes out of the Old Testament which show prophecy fulfilled. Listen to this. This is Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 7. He said, Messiah is speaking, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. That's prophesied that he's going to say that. And then in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Listen to that. I will put my spirit on him. And so what you see here now too in the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him and the words of the Father speaking as he does, you are seeing prophecy fulfilled. God speaking the same things that he has said in the Old Testament about his coming. Now you put all of that together and that identifies who he is. That's what I meant when I said his baptism identifies who he is. So the Father is speaking. These things are happening to say this one really is the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior. He is identified by all of these things. But also, not only is he identified in his baptism, he also receives his mission in his baptism. Because here it all begins. Here the journey to Jerusalem begins. Here the journey to the cross begins. Here the work of seeking and saving sinners begins. Here all of those things begin. Because he is anointed. He's anointed to be our prophet, which means this. He is now going to preach and teach and call to repentance. He is anointed to be our priest, which means he's going to pray, you see, for people. And he's going to ultimately make a sacrifice. And he is anointed to be our king. He's going to rule in the lives of people and bring to them new life, you see. So in all of these things now, he is being pointed to. This is his identity. And now it's also his mission. So put these two things together. The baptism of Jesus tells us who he is and also what his mission is. Baptism is still the same thing today. That's what baptism is all about. In our baptism, we receive our identity and in our baptism we also receive our mission. Think of this, in baptism God puts his name on us. In our baptism, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And just as the whole triune God was present at the baptism of Jesus, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, through his name the whole triune God is present at our baptism too, you see. And so in our baptism when he puts his name on us, he's claiming us as his own. He's saying, you are my beloved child. You belong to me now for time and eternity. And the Holy Spirit also comes down upon us in our baptism. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, the Holy Spirit is always identified as the one who gives faith, as the one who brings forgiveness, as the one who brings heaven and eternal life. And so when the Holy Spirit comes down upon us in holy baptism, he brings those gifts to us. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he always comes as giver. 
He always comes as giver. That comes brought out in the catechism. It's brought out in the scriptures that he always comes as giver. And so in the holy baptism, he comes to give us. comes to give us the forgiveness of sins, to give us the gift of heaven, to give us spiritual life. Now listen to this very carefully, what I'm going to say. There's nothing in scripture that says that you have to be of a certain age for all of that to happen. There's nothing in Scripture that says you have to be so old for the Holy Spirit to come to you and give you those gifts. Nothing in Scripture like that at all. There's nothing in Scripture, of course, that says that he cannot give those gifts to anyone and everyone when they come through holy baptism. And so when we bring the smallest infant, you see, to holy baptism, he receives those gifts. And there's nothing in Scripture that says you have to know what you're getting in order to get it. Just like you do not have to know that you are being conceived in your mother's womb to be conceived, you don't have to know that you, in other words, you don't have to know that you're receiving physical life to know that you are physical life, that you're getting physical life. You don't have to know that in order to get it. So you also don't have to know that you're getting spiritual life and spiritual gifts in order to get them. So the Holy Spirit comes and we don't even know he's coming at that moment, but he's coming to give us all of these things. Now we especially want to notice this because the difference between the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And John pointed it out. Sometimes people compare, compare those two, but there is no comparison. John's baptism is a baptism, and John said it himself, his baptism is a baptism of water. Jesus' baptism is a baptism of water and the Spirit. So, that's the big thing in baptism. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit to us, you see. It is significant that the first baptisms were performed on what day? Pentecost. The day of the Holy Spirit. The first baptisms in the New Testament are done on the day of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Remember that day? Peter preaches this big sermon, powerful sermon, and afterwards people come and they ask, what, would, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, adults asking, and for your children. And what all of that tells us is this, that baptism is not about us doing something for God. It is about God doing something for us. And so we don't bring our children to be dedicated. We bring our children to receive. We don't do something for our children. We simply bring our children to receive the wonderful gifts that God wants to give them. So in baptism, we receive our identity. Now apply this to yourself. I am a child of God. How do I know that? Because I'm baptized. God loves me. How do I know that? I'm baptized. I'm not an orphan in this universe, in a cold, unknowing, uncaring universe. I'm a child with a father who loves me. I'm a sinner, yes, but I'm also forgiven. And get this, I am forgiven at baptism. That's when I get the gift of forgiveness. I don't get it day after day after day. I get forgiveness in my baptism. And as I believe in Jesus Christ all through my life, I am always, always, always a forgiven person. That's when I receive forgiveness. Now, I pray for forgiveness. Certainly, I do that too. But I receive it in baptism. 
That's when I receive in Christ Jesus. And also in my baptism, I receive the gift of heaven. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Because in my baptism, I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I receive the gift of faith. I receive the gift of forgiveness. And I receive the gift of heaven. All of that in my baptism. It identifies me. Who am I? You see, God tells me who I am right there. So often we hear that today when I'm trying to figure out who I am. The Bible tells me who I am. In Jesus Christ, I am God's beloved Son, all of those things. But it also gives me my mission. My mission, just as Jesus was set apart for a ministry and a mission and a service, so you and I are also set apart for a ministry and a mission in our baptism. God has called us out of light, out of death into life. He's called out darkness into light. He's called us out of the kingdom of the devil into his kingdom. And he's done all of this so that I might serve him and live under him in his kingdom. He's done all of this, and my mission is this now, to love my brother. That's my mission, to love my brother. When my brother doesn't know Jesus Christ, it is my mission to do everything I possibly can to bring him to know Jesus Christ. When my brother doesn't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray for him, I'm going to do everything I can, I'm going to invite him, I'm going to encourage him. When my brother knows Jesus Christ, that's going to be a burden in my heart, and I'm going to do everything I can to bring him to faith, be he close or be he far. And when he is needy, when he has a need, I'm going to do everything I can to fulfill that need. I'm going to reach out to him, my brother, because I'm called to give, to witness, all of these things. And I'm also called to now worship my brother with my brother and pray with my brother and study the scriptures with my brother because I'm a member of a family. And that's what families do. They work and they serve together. And I'm also called to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, said, I want, you to, I want you to go out into the world and win everyone for me by preaching and teaching and baptizing. And so I'm called to be a part of that Great Commission. So remember these words, and you've heard them, of course, often, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the sign of the cross. And right before we, those words are spoken over us, the sign of the cross is made upon our forehead and over our hearts. And when the cross is made over our forehead and over our hearts, and those words are spoken in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a miracle takes place. The Holy Spirit comes. Forgiveness is given. Heaven is given. Martin Luther said, when, whenever you pass the baptismal font, you should always think miracle. Now listen to that. Luther said, whenever you pass the baptismal font, the word that should come to your mind is miracle. Because that's what happens at your baptism. A tremendous miracle takes place. It is a momentous event. Because he said, just as God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, so also he speaks these great gifts into your heart at your baptism. So that's why I put the baptismal font out here this morning. Because Luther said that. By the way, he also said you should make the sign of the cross. Whenever you pass the baptismal font, you should make the sign of the cross. Remember the words of your baptism and the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you should think this word miracle, because there's your identity 
and there's your mission. One other thing that connects baptism to the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the beginning of our faith. That's where it begins. The Lord's Supper preserves our faith. So here we are given faith, and as we come to the Lord's Supper over and over during our lives, there our faith is preserved through the gospel we hear there. Now, that's why the last words that you hear when you come away from the Lord's Supper is the word preserve. And you've heard it hundreds of times. Listen to the words again. May this body and blood strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Why that word preserve there? That connects the Lord's Supper with baptism. Baptism is the beginning of our faith. The Lord's Supper is the preservation of our faith. And so we baptize, so we, we walk by the baptismal font, we make the sign of the cross, and we think miracle, and then we come to the Lord's Supper, and again we hear the gospel, and the last word we leave here as we leave there is the word preserve. Huh? So, all of that here in our text, baptism is my identity, and my mission. Amen.